Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compiled that all into a book. So you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not, and why is it important? Uh, Why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, So there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. The Audible version is in production and should be ready in approximately a month. But if you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle or go go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we had put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research. And I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius podcast now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Professor Henry Heng. He's part of the Center for Molecular Medicine and Genetics in the Pathology Department at Wayne State University School of Medicine. We're going to be talking about uh, the questions of the cancer book I'm putting together. We did one on viruses, which is now on Amazon and Kindle and soon to be on Audible. If you want to order that, you just go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius. The book, I believe, is very provocative and asks questions about viruses that may not be answered for decades. So check it out. Um, but today, again, we're going to be talking about uh, cancer. So, Henry, thanks for coming. Thank you. Yeah. Well, our first question, based on how cancer acts and what it does, do you believe that it becomes a separate life form from the person? Or do you believe it's still part of the person, just, you know, the cells uh, aren't independent enough to be considered their own life form? Yes, uh, this actually is quite an interesting question, because uh, to answer this question, we need a step back to really define what the cancer is. Because for a long time, traditionally, we always thinking that cancer is a disease of the cell, out of control grows and become dominant. So people define the cancer with many, many different features of growth, you know, without control the cell cycle, do not go to a cell death pathway, escape from immuno, you know, system, many of this, for example. But if you're thinking more, we really need to think about, uh, you know, cancer is a new system new cellular system emerged from the normal tissue. And uh, because they are new system, right? So they're genetically quite different from the host cell. So after through the, you know, the, the series of macroevolution and the karyotype completely different, therefore should be defined as a different system, almost like a different animal, different plants, you know, most of them display different characters. So from that perspective, we certainly support the idea to consider cancer as a new system or new species, cellular species, if you will. Of course, this is very productive. Some people thinking this is uh, hard to accept it. But if you ask what to define biological system, and we have to have the answer, they have different characteristical coding systems. So, so therefore, yes, I think it's a new system. Okay. Well, in that vein, I mean, cancers, so far as we know, don't generate their own germ cells. So there's no, there's no chance to look at reproductive isolation or not. But, um, have you or anyone observed that cancer cells will interact with 
healthy healthy cells that are adjacent to them and turn them cancerous, whereas most of the growth from a cancer from meiosis, from the cancer cells just dividing themselves. So, so this actually is a, a quite interesting question as well, because if we consider a cancer system is a new system emerge, but from host cell, so they actually become more powerful than they have individually, like the like a virus or something. Because virus, you have to, you know, borrow the host environment to duplicate yourself. But the cancer is a phenomenon that actually use your own material to make the new system. So that's fascinating in terms of uh, information point of view. So the, how the cancer use ordinary sales information and made a new system and overpower the original host is a fascinating uh, question. So they do, most of them are coming from the originally, uh, you know, this normal cell gradually be selected, evolve. But at the same time, the cancer cell always have different ways for the competition and the collaboration with the you know, surrounding the cell. For example, people found, so during this you know, genome unstable for the cancer, the also the surrounding the cell, the chromosome also become unstable. So if you kill cancer cell, the surrounding the cell also can observe, you know, borrow many, many DNA from cancer cell and then make themselves become more likely become cancer cell. So in such an interaction, the whole process is a whole system selection and they actually pay less attention to individual like for environment or something. So they just as a whole you know, package for be selection upon. So sometimes they can use your labor cell, sometimes they just kill labor cell, sometimes immuno cell even can help them. So the, all of this dynamics is all surrounded on the how the new system will emerge and gradually take over the host system. So that's a kind of game of information formation, maintenance, and the takeover story. Well, there's a resection, and there's a lot of healthy tissue surrounding the resection. What happens after a resection? Does the healthy tissue become more healthy, or does it just continue to be converted to cancer cells? You know, does the grip or the influence of the cancer go down after a resection, let's say? Has that been even quantified? Sure. So the, the also, they have different situations. For, for, you know, we actually sometimes always ask the question, so if you already take off the cancer, right, then should everything be fine, but why sometimes, many times they come back? So there is a different hypothesis. One hypothesis is this individual genome basically is unstable. So they could have different cancers evolved from different parts of the organ or tissue. They just gradually evolve from this direction. So even though you take away the primary sites, another site is continue going, right? So this is one idea. Of course, traditional idea always thinking, you know, the metastasis from primary tumors always get out. And the people also found that there is a, um, your early stages have some experiment is quite uh, difficult to understood. Is uh, for example, that mice have two breast cancer, right and left, right? They're, they're slowly growing. But if you just take off one side of the tumor and another side were drastically, rapidly growing. So, that's this kind of system behavior to how to, you know, to evolve this balance as a whole. So they have lots of to learn. And recently the, uh, the group of scientists that actually compare, they say the surgery procedure themselves, they do can promote other cancer to grow in because they could cause the system stress. Therefore you can push another sites of the cancer to grow in. So you can see from different angles that have different explanation can explain yeah. such a complex response. So if we say cancer is its own light form, at what point does it become one? You know, if, if there's just a few cells, what does that look like versus a hundred or a thousand or a million or a billion cells? At what point would you say cancer really does become a lot more like its own life form? You know, after sure. it forms metastases, is it, sure. is it even sure. more like that? Sure. So by dissecting the evolution process of cancer, we actually realized that they involve the multiple circle of two-faced cancer evolution. So the initially, if, if you're thinking about you want to have a new system, you have to make a new system, right? But after you make the new system, then you have a phase to make this new system become dominant, like the growing. So we divided the cancer evolution in two phases. The phase one is macroevolution. So you the genome, the normal genome, the chromosomal have lots of reshafting and then they can form one particular current type of coding, which is responsible for such a new system. 
So this is phase one. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. And one cell you cannot make this, you know, or few cells, as you just point out, cannot become cancer clinically. So they need a second phase to make the population grow and let the population become dominant. So this phase is a microevolutionary phase, mostly with the help of oncogene can help in, in such a way. So they can divide in a bit quicker than the surrounding cells that gradually become dominant. But there is one phenomenon is quite puzzling for us for a long time. So for example, so why the, you know, people will get old aging and the system will be give up. So at a certain point, maybe the system becomes so heterogeneous, the system cannot hold, therefore they have a single to just kill the system themselves. So, so therefore clearly there is a quantitative trigger in for the uh, cancer population. Under certain conditions, at a certain point, the population is so clinically dominant, therefore they become really cancer. That's why sometimes for the many of the treatment, if you, you know, make the cancer become smaller, like you have a few thousand cells or 10,000 cells, they're still hiding there. They don't have the clinical symptom. But if the system is unstable, this group of cells can quickly come out of the sleeping situation and quickly take over the system. So this is another information people need to really study, you know, how to uh, control this whole process. Yeah, that's very interesting. So yeah, as you become older, your systems start to malfunction. It opens you up to cancer in more yes. and more places, I guess, unfortunately. Yes, but in, in such a way, someone just said, oh, okay, the cancer is a way to keep the population much younger. But if you're thinking about the thermodynamic law, because uh, you know, even individual cell, I mean, previously people are thinking that the cell, if given enough nutrition, they can live forever, but this is not the case at all. They also become aging and dying. So, so somehow this information, you know, let the individual dying to preserve, you know, maybe involve lots of information, entropy, or this kind of story. So we actually is very carefully thinking about this issue and to try to put a different piece of puzzle together to thinking whether Maybe the cancer actually, you know, plays an important role for the, you know, normal people's function, but it's not a role directly help. But in the animal kingdom, they have some example, like the golden fish, you know, you, you look in the world nicely, some of the morphological beauty, actually that's a benign tumor, right? So because in that, you know, some animals do have some beneficial in terms of a human selection point of view, but we know the the cancer most of the cancer is a consequence of the cellular adaptation. Because, uh, for example, when we when live in different environments, when virus infection, when we have the injury, so the repair system wants to repair this tissue, become, you know, function again. So under this situation, if you have a normal chromosome, you cannot fulfill such a function. So you need to change the system. Therefore, they have more power for cellular adaptation. So that's why most of the time, the tissue change is because the cellular evolution requires so. But after the fulfill the function, this accumulated change actually will damage the system. So the almost like it's a trade-off of the whole process of the evolutionary story. So th that's the reason we always thinking cancer is a trade-off of the evolution process. Do you know anyone that's looked at a neoplasm and compared it to a tumor? you know, cancerous tumor or done this multiple times to see what the differences are? Yeah, so so the I think the one of the key information is the heterogeneity of the genomic heterogeneity. So sometimes if you do not change the genome, you change some gene, you could kind of, you know, proliferation much higher. 
But for the cancer, as we just said, the two phases of cancer evolution, you have to change the genome first, become new system, then plus proliferation, then you become uh, kinds of, you know, the more aggressive in, in such a way. So we think in the heterogeneity is one of the most powerful strategy for the cancer. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Because uh, for a long time, we're always thinking cancer cell is very powerful, but actually it's not true. Individual cancer cell is very weak, right? But because the population is whole different as a together, so that become powerful. So I, I almost thinking if we compare benign tumor and the you know aggressive cancer, I think a gen- genomic level of heterogeneity maybe is a key. But this we still need a further study. You know, at least the people need to pay attention to this one and compare different stage of yeah. this system. Yeah. Well, do you know anyone that's three D mapped a tumor? and looked at the distribution of heterogeneity and then used a computer model to go backwards in time, you know, so maybe the first couple of cells or even one cell, you know, if you, if you know how the heterogeneity proceeds sure. and you can back calculate which cell came from which, maybe you could, again, model, computer model it backwards in time. Sure. This is tough. This is actually easy to think in this one that actually the reality, almost like, a, you know, you just a, you know, Steve Jago initially, you know, said if you play the evolutionary tape, every time you replay, the turnout will be different. So we actually did something similar. We did, a, you know, use a, a culture model. We parallelly culture many, many clones and from the same or mother, right? So we just continue doing hit different pathway, the form different. So the clone is completely, you know, unpredictable, right? So, so, so that is the reason for a long time, initially our study, you know, people always study clonal evolution. You can say dominant clone. But then we actually found many normal people, normal tissues that have lots of random clone. And this we call the non-clonal, you know, because the frequency is so low. But such an unclonal is a key for biological evolution. But but this circuit noisy you know, structure have most of the time have been ignored by research because for the research, we always pinpoint the main clone. But we ignore this, you know, some outliers. But under the evolutionary situation, especially under cancer, the evolution always favors outliers. So now this is against our traditional way of studying cancer because we always try to find the dominant guy, not knowing actually the dominant guy, when it becomes dominant, the owner can go down and open the door for some is not dominant to take over. So, so the cancer evolution is completely Every time is replace the population highly. So therefore, it's, so the computer model you can get is, is highly dynamic. That, that's what we predicted. So almost like the, before the cancer genome sequence project, you know, the, we also uh, went to the thinking tank meeting NCI to discuss you know, how, how many samples people need sequencing, you know. And I predicted that at that time, the more we sequencing, the more confused, complex picture will emerge because that's how the system works. Because the cancer to be successful is because of the high level of dynamics. So that's a key. So because of that dynamics, they successfully come out, coming to fight with all the different type of constraint, right? So okay. therefore, if we want to have a clear cut model to show in which cell it is, it's extremely difficult. For example, we actually found after drug treatment, they always induce the new genome formation. And at that time, if you check each individual cell, we use a karyotype like the cytogenetic change. Every cell is different, but we do not know which one have the fortune to become the winner at the end. You, you know what I mean? So that's a Good and- question here. I don't know if you've done this or anyone's done this. What if you took a tumor and you broke off a whole bunch of cells and you put each cell in a separate dish, same medium, same conditions, everything, and then culture them. What would you see in the resulting, you know, cultures? Would they all look the same? Would they all look totally different in terms of mutations? Yes, that's a very good question. People actually done something like that. So, so for example, the one of our colleague Glory Happener many years ago, she just isolated the cell knife from the tumor, right? As you just said, they have you know clone one, clone two, clone three. And then they actually the interplantation back to the mice to say, you know, how, you know, how it continue growing. 
Very surprisingly, if you just put individual colony, sometimes they do not grow. But if you put them together, they actually will grow. Even more fascinating, you can put it back, but into different locations, they also can grow, you know? So there is a lot of, you know, the, the requirement for the heterogeneity even to let a cell to grow. Strain sun heterogeneity, you're saying? Exactly. Somewhat. Okay. So we, actually, we did something similar. We actually did some drug resistant. So some clone, they have drug resistant, but there's a mixture of cell population. So you use individual of this, they cannot resist this drug, the sensitive, but together they become the drug resistant. So we're actually thinking that heterogeneity themselves is a new type of information, which actually contributed to the drug resistant as well. The heterogeneity means that each cell will have somewhat different abilities. Yes. So if they all work together as a living, this, this probably points to the fact that they do work together as a living organism that go, you know has its own homeostatic drive because all these abilities are then able to contribute to the cancer to help it fend off the immune system and you know acquire blood vessels and all kinds of stuff. I guess the heterogeneity is uh, is a you know is a combined power of of all the constituent cells. Sure. So we actually uh, to try to study why you know the the biological system have such a heterogeneity, especially cancer, right? So we actually looking back to study the from. Mendel's, you know, the, the law of genetics, we actually realized the initial definition of, you know, the, the gene dominates the recessive three to one segregation. This actually by and large is incorrect because uh, the, they just, uh, you know, cherry picked something and the data doesn't fit. In fact, this genetic control of the gene with the phenotype is totally fuzzy, right? So vast majority of them, you cannot find this correlation. So because of that, so we actually realized that genetic information basically is fuzzy, but for the normal tissue, so the fuzziness is lower, but for the cancer, the fuzziness, fuzziness become extremely high. So, so that's why for every time when we did the drug treatment, we put the drug there, lumen chemotherapy or target specific therapy, even immunotherapy, then actually the trigger the system is so dynamic, the majority of the cell is different. But despite such a difference, the emergency is the same, is always have the way to get out of this control. So that is so powerful places. So that's why we're always thinking, even though individual trigger factor is different, composition of the cell is different, but the overall pattern is the same, which is breaking the control of system control, environmental control. So that is a so-called key mechanism of how the cancer evolved, rather than you know, it's just the immuno issue, is the blood supply issue, is the cell dividing issue. No, all of this is just a feature of the system emerge. What do you think happens, you know, when, when a cancer first starts? What do you think, how, how does it start, for instance, you know, what are your guesses? And then what abilities arise first? Is it evading okay. the immune system first or proliferation, et cetera? Sure, this is a very good question. So, so for a long time, initially, people always thinking, uh, use a Darwinian, neo-Darwinian thinking, people always try to find the first cell, have the first mutation, because uh, this traditional thinking, we always thinking because the mutation rate is extremely low. So you have to have uh, one cell that got uh, one mutation. And then you need this cell become big population, then they have chance to have second mutation, right? So that's the traditional thinking, how the stepwise accumulation going. But now after sequence of human genome, a cancer genome project, we know it's not the case because the you know they could have so many different gene mutations, doesn't matter, sometimes matter. And also there is no way to accumulate, let the cell become accumulated one to six mutation. And in fact, we know under stress, the chromosome reshuffling, they just one step, they can finish all the new system that do not lead this people, previously people imagined accumulation of gene mutation. So, so therefore we're thinking the initial first cancer cell, there must be a new system, which specifically they have different chromosome composition. So this is one of the key important situation. But then to form this, you know, your immuno system, we, know, we now know if you have different chromosome, the immuno system will kill you, right? So, so most of them will be eliminated already. But because the cancer is keep changing, keep changing, always have someone can escape that. And then they become, they, by such a way, they break the immunoconstraint, right? So they have multiple constraints. So 
initially constraint, we're thinking the tissue constraint locally, normal cell do not let you grow in every time you'll be killed. So it's tough to be a cancer cell at the very beginning, right? So everyone will kill you. System constraint, you cannot. So you have to break that first and then you become local domination and then you need to escape from immuno, you need escape from organ, you can escape from system. You know, so, so many ways to, to fight over. So the cancer is, is not easy at all to be successful. Maybe what, what happens is that in all of us, you know, you know how there are always cells that are cheaters that are not part of the system. Maybe everyone always has cancer cells all over their body, just a few of them, but it's a matter of control and breaking out. And in some people, it gets to a point where the cancer is able to gain enough resources or enough cells where now it, it takes over and cancer manifests. But maybe it's there is no one cell that begins it, but there's always multiple cells in each tissue that are already changed a bit. It's just the opportunity is not there to uh, to have them you know grow into something substantial. Yeah, I actually kind of agree with because, uh, for example, we, we give an example. So for the liver. Right. For liver cell, you know, when people are the 40, 50, the 70 percent of liver cell is no longer normal human liver cell. The polyploidy, you know, the aneuploidy, the massive change. So those are the all the material, even the brain cell, you know, people have 20 percent of aneuploidy. It's every cell, every tissue looking for is loaded with genetic different level of change, especially chromosomal change. So those Anytime could become very powerful cancer cell, but our system actually can hang on there, hold this ground, right? So that is another thing quite interesting, you know, how the different information together to fulfill normal function. And yet after that, and the diverged system will limit themselves. But as long as the genetic information have passed along, so we actually okay. But because right now we have the human technology and the, the, the artificial evolution or culture technology information, we want to change the game of biology. So that's what we are doing, right? So, yeah. so that's why also it's very much difficult. What, whenever a cancer cell divides, does it de-differentiate first? Or you know, at, at what point are the cells de-differentiating to acquire these new abilities? And at what point are they re-differentiating yet proliferating, like within a tumor. I'm not talking about metastases yet, but just within a tumor, is there this cycling of going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards, or is it does it appear just going forwards and, and the change is all on top of the existing change? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I saw this all up above because uh, for you know a few years back, people always thinking, oh, stem cell hold the key for the cancer because uh, you know the, the, the thinking this cell is so tough, difficult to kill. But at that time, before that, we did some experiment. We actually watched evolution in action. We just trace the different cell growing. So when the cell growing in the macroevolution phase, right, many cells that become unequally dividing and they can become huge and then you can burst it. One cell become 20 or 30 cell. And in this bursting, and many cell with cancer stem cell feature. So they will, you know, because from embryogenic point of view, the initial early embryo cells, they have quickly dividing probability and they, have, they are the cell without the differentiation. So they gradually form the cell differentiation and they trigger the, you know, the, the orderly development process. But the surprise to many one is during the early development, the genome is very, very unstable. They have lots of aneuploidy, lots of, you know, the bizarre genomic change. But the system is okay after cell differentiation, they actually, you know, get rid of this crazy stuff and the dominant cell population is a normal genome. So with cancer, and then, you know, of course, you know, now we people realize that if we use a drug treatment for the cancer, they can induce some of genetic nuclear, genetic cell. And most of the genetic cell, when they're dividing, they become tons of small cell with like the stem cell or different type of, they just change the different situation. So they can use this, you know, the phase change epigenetic force to generate the different diversity. But as long as the whole system is become diverged, is different, then they open the selection for the evolution. So that is what we're talking about. So initially I was thinking the developmental stage, epigenetic, all will contribute to system change. But whether or not the system actually did the change, that depends on 
how much genomes actually change. So that's one of the turning points. Yeah, I'm just wondering, I've heard about the epithelial to mesenchymal transition, but let me, let me go back from there. So you mentioned that tumors will have stem, cancer stem cells and then regular cancer cells. Is there a, a, a changing of some of the cancer cells into cancer stem cells and back and forth? Or yes. That, where, where do can, cancer stem cells come from? Yes, the initially the, the have the for some tumors they have the during normal development they have the, some problems that cause the cancer. That's one type of cancer. Another most of the cancer is cell already finished cell differentiation become particular tissue, and then they had a problem that become cancer. Right? They also display the di- differentiation phenotype. So so therefore you know I think in the, that transition is extremely important, but also is not the only way. Right to to do because the the complexity of cancer is just so many different pathways, so many different triggers. So that's why we actually got stuck because we're always thinking we can find one of the major trigger factor. Right, for example, oncogene, tumor suppressed gene, or you know phenotypical trans- transition, or you know or nutrition, immuno. No, it's all of above, and also the winner every time is different. So if you just use one criteria, you eliminate all of this, you still have a winner. So that's the beauty of the evolution. It's also cruel, you know, it's cruelty of the evolution at the same time. So so I think in the stem cell also can cancers. So initially people focus on the how to focus on cancer stem cell, ignore another cell. But now people know stem cell and the lung stem cell can both ways, they can you can become with each other. Therefore, you lost the point to st- just study cancer stem cell because the non-stem cell can become stem cell when needed. So then, then we actually got is it's a difficult situation. So that's why the uh, right now these people are talking about how important is the cancer stem cell. By the way, the cancer stem cell, the genome is constantly changing. By definition, it's not a stem cell, but people just say, oh yeah, that's still. So that's a, yeah. that's a, a controversial field, yeah. If you look at a tumor, where will the stem cells be? Just randomly anywhere? Or are they at the center only? Or are they in, in certain distribution in a, in a tumor? Yeah, they have the distribution. Like the, for the skin cell, they always, you know, from, you know, the button, they gradually go to going up, you know, go to replace the, the skin cell. So the different organs that do have the, the distribution of the stem cell, yes, from normal stem cell. But I have to say the normal stem cell and the cancer stem cell are very different. Normal stem cell, they should have the correct normal karyotype, the chromosome number, everything is the same. But for cancer stem cell, is cancer cell that with stem cell feature, they may not become, the, you know, is a truly stem cell because the, the genome already changed. So that's actually one of the key definition we need, you know, it's a separate. If you, look at it to, if you look at a regular organ, it has a lot of structure and different features and everything. If you look at a tumor, does it have no structure? Or does it have like small regions of, of structure, but it's it's kind of like a Picasso. It's, it's blocks of a different, uh, I don't know, cell types. Like how organized is it or how messy is it typically? Yes, I, I, your guess is correct. So they don't have the, such an elegant structure, but they have some some kinds of, you know, massive, you know, bizarre structure, right? If, you, if you, you, you're thinking that way. So I think it's because each of each individual tumor they actually is not the same species, if you will. So they all have different chromosome composition, different gene mutation rate. So they just form the kinds of mass of there. But for some of the, you know, the type of the tumor that have more network structure, so someone, someone actually did suggest, oh, this is a tumor is another way to form different organ, but basically no function except just pass some of the information. But there are areas like substructure areas that do appear to maybe have function or at least are ordered, but they're just not cohesive as an organ, let's say, or a tissue. Yes, this actually needed more study in, in terms of, you know, the, especially I think right now people can, you know, culture the organ in such a way so they may, you know, to address this question more. Yeah, I guess have, have people created like tumoroids, you know, like organoids, but a tumoroid version and you know, try to put them through the paces and see how the tumoroids respond. Yeah, for, for example, but again, for this type of research, they may find some pattern, but if in the reality of the human body, they may find it less because uh, 
the much more heterogeneity of the condition and the different way. So the initial condition were much different. So the emerged, you know, final products could be also much more dynamic, I suspect. Have, have you or anyone been able to compare someone that had a tumor that was resected, then let's say they went through chemo and the tumor came back, and then they resected the one that came back, and then you can compare the two in terms of heterogeneity and, uh, you know, mutations, et cetera. Has anyone been able to do that? Yeah, people actually did the patient, like, uh, you know, you after you sequence the genome and you know the, you know, uh, mutation landscape and then you treat, and then in one or two weeks, the landscape completely changed, right? So that target is no longer there. We did the mouse study and the in vitro. Every time you, after treatment, the current type is completely different from previously. So we think it's a, a new system replaced the older one. So that's what happening. So for... For a long time, people, you know, I actually listened to some of the people you interviewed. They always uh, tell you, so the tumor is highly heterogeneity. If you put a drug, you're 99 dead, or always have one or two percent to survive. This is uh, correct, but it's not the true uh, picture because the treatment itself could induce massively new clone, which is the most reason. It's not a pre-exist. The pre-exist, you are not the powerful enough. So you, you have to arrange the genome become new system. So so we did the, the drug resistance. Every time you have drug treatment, the resistance cell is different from the parental cell population period. But this has been ignored so far in the field because most people are always looking for this genes there. But genes there, almost like I last time I mentioned to you, like you build the house, right? The brick is there. But after earthquake, the brick still okay. But the house is not okay. But people cannot see this picture because we have betrayed as a reductionism. So we always thinking we're looking for the gene, but we forgot that the gene have to be working at the higher level, right? Yeah. Well, I think phenotype doesn't just come from genes, gene expression. It comes from epigenetic factors, microbiome, cell to cell signaling, immune interactions. I mean, I think phenotype is composed of many, many different types of elements. So. Yes. Maybe that's why there's no correlation to be drawn. Yes, that is a very, very important point. So we're thinking the karyotype as a platform to determine the network, how it works, and how it responds to the microbiota, all this stuff. So we now we're thinking the information, they have a different layer of information. One is the ground, playground of the, you know, determined by the, you know, the genome species. And then you have the gene mutation, you have epigenetic. So that actually is a fine turning the system, but the, all the potential is determined by initially the system, how far they can go. So, so that's why the, the, the powerfulness of the cancer is because they form the loose system structure, which completely do not influence by the constraint of the available conditions. So that's the power part. But because of that, they become extremely reliant on such a system. So they cannot, cannot freely leave this system become even more powerful. So maybe that's a good news. So we don't know. So we need a more uh, open-minded to study all of this question. Yeah. Well, how do you think metastases form? What, how and why is there a decision or is it a decision? Or, you know, why do, why do metastases form? Okay, so according to we, the uh, two-faced cancer evolutionary model, we're thinking they have few transition, like from normal cell to cancer cell. From the local cancer cell to the you know, systematic cell, from drug sensitive to drug resistant, each of these steps, they all have to involve current type change. So that's actually is, is a key stage. So you have to become different system, then you have a chance to become popular dominant system. So we, so now actually more and more people, uh, the publication, we actually found that that's the case because uh, if you're thinking people found the metastatic every time, if you compare the carrot type, the genome always change. So, so we we hope people spend more more effort to study this issue. We always thinking you have to become the new system. You can finish the phase transition. But what what is it that you think causes metastases? Does it does it is it when the tumor runs into a wall, meaning that you know not only it has hypoxic areas but anoxic areas, or you know physically the the area that the tumor is sitting in, uh, the environment just is now. I don't know, it, it, it's too hostile and it breaks yes. away? Or do you think that it's yes. always looking and finds new environments or what? Yes, the environment is very hostile to them. So they, 
So, so that's why we're actually thinking in order to coexist for some tumor, maybe we should let the, you know, they could have some very slowly survive situation. So rather when the system become very, very hostile, so the, the trigger the genome chaos that is become, you know, crazily fight back with us. So almost like the, you know, you're thinking about the political, you know, the situation for the human, you know, the uh, dealing with like the terrorism, sometimes you almost thinking, you know, you, you try to kill them all and you actually can create the soil to, you know, to, to produce more. So maybe you just change the economical situation, you know, and to some, somehow to reduce the, you know, the craziness. So the cell, such a system also could be. So that's why the people are talking about the adaptive therapy. So, you know, just uh, even though they're thinking adaptive therapy is maintain the you know the the population profile but we also thinking could be actually they did not trigger the harsh condition to the cancer cell they actually have the slower growing as a trade-off when metastases form though they're let's say it's liver cancer the liver cells will metastasize to i don't know lung or bone but there'll still be liver cells in a different environment now so i would think that Metastases would exist in much more hostile environments than primary tumors. Are they just as successful? Uh, you know, what does this do to them? Does it? How does it drive the heterogeneity so metastases can survive, given that they're in these alien environments? So the one thing is uh, actually people talking about the convergent, you know, all the systems. So we actually people try to find the gene. They certainly, did not find that any gene actually is contributed to such a converting, right? So, so, but uh, we haven't been able to compare at the genome level because people currently, very few people study this level because it's difficult to, to handle it. So in the future, if people can compare more, as you just suggested, like the liver, you know, the different location of this, and you can compare, maybe we can find a certain, uh, you know, the trend of this. But that is a, is a difficult, difficult question to answer, but I, anticipate every time that the, the two have very, very different the configuration of the genome. What, what kind of communication and signaling goes on between the primary tumor and the metastases? Do you think that it's like a master-slave relationship where the primary runs the show and the metastases are beholden to the primary, or it's just a community where they collaborate, or is there no interaction, you think? I, I rather thinking they are different systems, almost like a normal cell and a cancer cell in a different stage. So the they could because they could have some niche the seminar right so they could collaboration but but because as soon so so that's the idea so initially we're always thinking daughter cell and the mother cell is a seminar only have slightly different but now we know during the cancer metastatic or drug resistant emerge so the mother cell and the daughter cell completely have different genome even though they, they, they have the same gene so that's the thing so uh, as well as thinking that after metastasis this system is very different from primary tumor in terms of the higher order of the genome. But of course, all the gene, all the DNA material is still similar from the, the assist cell. But do you think the primary tumor works with the metastases or is it their boss or is there no relationship? No, I don't think it's a boss. No, I don't think so. Okay, the, but do the, you think there's a, is there a collaborative relationship or no relationship? There could be collaborative relationship but they don't have the direct you know because as long as they derived from there just like us our or all the dna initially may become from bacteria right so we still we have the connection in that sense but we are not bacteria okay do you know anything about uh, liquid biopsies and biomarkers for tumors uh, you know have you looked much at tumor production of extracellular vesicles compared to healthy cells so this field, every few years, they have a new biomarker, right? So, so now the you know the people found this one, and also recently year people found the bio, you know microbiota, you know how important they are. So, so o- almost every five years, this field have the new kids <laughs> on the block to talking about this one. But uh, so I think the the key for the biomarker development in the future should. Should develop, focus on the evolutionary process because uh, rather than specific feature, you know. So if we have biomarker to monitor the process to see the system instability, the potential to become cancer, and then we also have to accept the, the probability issue. So lots of 
you know, prediction could not be very precise because we only can tell probability. So that's the real world that we face is is not certainly, you know, in, in such a way. Because initially we're always thinking you have this gene mutation, you have it, but right now we know the normal tissue also have many, many gene mutation, even more higher rate sometimes. But we just cannot tell because if we, we acknowledge that the cancer is a complex adaptive system, so the, our expectation will be different. And then we maybe, you know, we're not trying to get the very defined biomarker, which basically is very difficult to get. Yeah, if each cancer cell is different and they're all heterogeneous, I would think that each one would attract a localized microbiome that is different from the adjacent neighbors. You know, I, I, I interviewed a lady named Florencia McAllister, and she was studying pancreatic tumors. And she found that the, not only the pancreas had its own microbiome of healthy tissue, but the tumors in the pancreas had their own distinct microbiomes. So if I imagine a tumor, I would think, you know, very localized to each cell, there would be a slightly different microbiome. And the tumor would look, I don't know, it would have like a crazy a crazy set of microbiomes attached to it. And I wonder what the interaction of these microbiomes would be. Would they would they fight? Would it just be like a cacophony of metabolites all over the place? Like, what do you, what do you think this would do to the dynamic, dynamic of uh, cells that make up a tumor? So I, I think that what you have mentioned is just uh, another layer of complexity because uh, we know that, you know, the different location, different nutrition, the different, uh, different individual right now, actually, you know, is uh, one of the uh, striking thing is, uh, you know, we know the for the breast cancer patient for survival rate, actually, that if you have family care, you know, the five-year survival could change almost 20%, right? So every factor, if you study, they all contribute. But the problem and also challenge for us is if you put all this factor together, we actually kind of get lost, right? So we don't know, actually, the, the how this different factor you know, communicate, interact with each other, who become more dominant than others. So that is, a, you know, a extremely challenging for us. We always use a linear model to study something, right? So for example, the, for the microbiota, people actually found in the mouse, you can very, very, you know, clearly showing the involvement. But for the people, they eat a different food, go to different region, and then the contribution may become much less. So that's the, the problem for us. So when we use our own system, we always say big picture, you know, have highly contribute. But then if you know we have so many, many factors, you put them together on the table, you say, okay, I want to identify which is which, and then everyone, depends on what you are studying, they all have totally different opinion. Yeah, no, that's true. Last couple of questions. Uh, in terms of viruses causing cancer, do you know much about this? And, you know, what are some of the mechanisms that have been observed, if so? Yes, so actually for a long time, people always found that when the virus infects the, the cell, they actually cause the chromosome fragmentation, right? So they just, the, all the chromosomes just become fragment and some of them rejoin and they could form a new genome. Recently, there actually is a good review article that found that many times after different virus infections, the human cells form the so-called giant cells. So there is a process that triggers the genome chaos. So, so all the chromosomes reshuffling and become new system. So that is almost like, is, you know, we're talking about the two phase of cancer evolution. So you initially under the, you know, attack. So the system forms a very different to the, you know, the cellular structure and which will form the new system with a different genome. And that actually can quickly trigger the genome instability, all of this. Also the lots of infection, the, the, the form, the information, all of this quickly trigger the, you know, the, the genome unstable and open the door for cancer evolution. That is for sure. Well, what do you think happens if, you know, if someone gets a virus and it, you know, it infects their cells and a tissue and it turns some of them cancerous? What happens then? What happens to the viral progeny? Do you think that they preferentially, or do you think that they cause cancer in, in healthy adjacent cells and it slowly spreads throughout the tissue? Or, you know, as cells become cancerous, do you think that stops the production of viral progeny? Like, how does the virus interact with with yeah. cells that, that have now become cancerous versus normal cells. So this is not my specialty, but I just think by the general knowledge, so we know that some virus could be integrated with the genome and the ritual virus, and this sometimes can come out. So that actually is also contributed to the genome reshafting process. But for those cannot integrate it. So the problem is every time 
if you have some agent to hurt the system, so the system try to self repair. So there is a process, the repair process that always introduce a variable. So that's the thing we actually worry about the most. So they always introduce a variable and this variable, of course, could contribute to the cancer evolution, but most of them will have no chance because our system have so many level of constraint, right? But occasionally there are, for example, people always saying, you know, the sometimes, you know, they have a very bad cold and then go to hospital and they find they have some cancer or, I mean, lots of time it's a coincidence, but it also could be, you know, when the system under attack, so the immune system become very active, then the, they will contribute and introduce some of genetic variable. We know in some of the, you know, the, the cancer and because they evolve, they produce the antibody, but when the very active produce antibody, they also trigger the other part of the genome become unstable. So it's kind of trade off, right, going on. So all of this, you know, the under stress and the, you know, the system try to, you know, overcome and try to foster adaptation, pair, progress, they all have a price to pay. And one of them is cancer. So that's why I think cancer were with us, you know, for a long, long, long time. So it's not, we are going to get rid of them because they actually is a trade-off for the cellular adaptation. So we need to change our attitude, just how to emphasize living peacefully together if we could, and then use operation without to trigger our own system chaos. So I think that is one of the a new way to consider the cancer issue. Okay, well, very good. Well, Henry, I, I know I've questioned you to death, but uh, where, where can people find out more about your work and your research? So we actually, the, we have two books. One is uh, uh, Genome Chaos, Rethinking Genetics, Evolution and the Molecular Medicine which talking about some evolutionary theory and also have the uh, genetic, genetic theory. And I also have one book called the Debating Cancer, the Paradox in Cancer Research. They actually answer many questions about the, the cancer. So I hope okay. people can access this book, yeah. Very good. Well, Henry, thank you for coming back as a guest. I really appreciate it. I always learn a lot when I speak to you. So thank, oh, you. thank you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.